Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Yes, is live. We are live. All right. We are live. Hello. <laughs> are definitely live now. And um, yeah, we will be joined by Russ in a moment. And uh, let's see, there's going to be a whole nother. Every time we do this now, you know, there's going to be a no Google. Google um, Hangouts are going away. So we got to figure that out at some point. Damn, Google. Google. Yeah, but there's some, something else is replacing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, Russ. Sorry about okay. that. No idea you're trying to get me. Using my new microphone today, I'm all excited about this. I've waited. I've, I, I bought this microphone just real quick. I bought this microphone a long time ago, and it's to be. It was everyone said it's a great podcasting microphone. It was driving me crazy because it didn't work. Um, and then I found out someone said, "Oh yeah, you have to put that through a, like a through a mic booster box like this. And if you put it through that, it'll work great." So now okay. I'm really happy. Anyway, all right. So um, so we everybody's been traveling. Everybody's back. Good to see everybody back. back. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all three yes. of you guys are in Vancouver. How was it? You guys enjoy it? Great. Always yeah, great. Um, Vancouver nice. was nice. Vancouver was really nice. I liked the weather. Uh, it, maybe it was a little cold for other people, but um, it was you know my type of weather. So I was light, I was fine with it. I just have to say though, I, I um, the the border <laughs> patrol at the U.S. Canadian border. <laughs> I'm getting feedback there. Yeah, we're getting feedback. Yeah, I was trying to get into the chat room. Was a problem. Yeah, we're good. I think. Just keep trying. Go. Okay. Okay. Um, Russ and I, Russ and I decided to uh, fly to Seattle and take the bus up to Vancouver. And there, it was going going there. It was fine. We'll fill out a form and no problems. Um, got through it about 15 minutes and got to Vancouver and. Uh, and they, our stay in Vancouver was, was pretty great. Um, but on the way back, same thing, fill a form. And the U.S. Border Patrol apparently has been left shorthanded on the Canadian-U.S. border because it took us over two hours to get through. And let's just say this. When you check off everything that you don't have anything to declare, and you have a bad Dutch dill pickle potato chips and they consider that food that needs to be declared. Um, I declare. something, something's wrong because, uh, you know, I, I have it in my bag. I tell the guy, I says, yeah, I declare, no, but I said, well, I said, I checked no for food. He says, well, I don't have any, like, vegetables. I have a bag of potato chips. The guy says, well, I guess you better check the, the yes in the food box then. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. I so, I mean, that plus, that plus uh, flying... Well, actually, hold on, Mike. But it was worse for me. I, I had no food. I had a bag with a remnants <laughs> of food, no actual food, just plastic. And he said I needed to check food for that. Oh, man, man, oh, man, oh, man. That's weird. I, I, actually, I'm surprised they didn't ask ask Russ to to go into another room and have a stomach pump so they could yeah. inspect his turkey dinty that he was eating. Yeah. What were you eating? <laughs> a turkey dindy. It turns out it's the same as like a lunchable. 
<laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, on that note, that 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 plus that that, that plus the fact that I I flew a six hour red eye from Seattle to New York with an eighteen month year old toddler uh, who would not go to sleep and. Yeah, that just made the trip wonderful. Yeah, well, the draft the itself. And now, obviously, you're living out of your car again, which is um... yeah, like a hobo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? Here we go. Look who I work. Look who I work for. Oh Whoa. man! Whoa. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Jesus! Ah, was a joke. Well this played, like... Mike. Well played. All right, here we go. Um. All right. Hello, hockey world. <laughs> it's Tuesday, June twenty fifth, two thousand and nineteen. I'm Hobo Michael Lagello. So is your microphone. Yeah. You have to log out and log back in, Mike. You're a little fuzzy. I'm, a okay. I'm Anthony Mangione from Center Ice Philly Magazine. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Eklund. And you're watching the Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings in the hockey world. And uh, we haven't talked since the draft, so we have a lot of little things to get into here, um, for sure. And then Mike's going to try to figure out how to log out and log back in um, in the meantime. Um, all right, so I think we have to start, first and foremost, we have to start right off the bat with this P.K. Saban trade. I know you might, you may have discussed it yesterday, right? Or I'm, we guys didn't do a show. We didn't do a show. No, we didn't do a show. No. I'm totally confused. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's Tuesday. Yeah, we didn't do one yesterday. We were all traveling. All right, so anyway, yes. So let's, let's now that Mike's gone, let's talk about it. I'm just kidding. There. Um, all right. So, why did Mike did... Let's start there. Okay. So, mm -hmm. it heard rumors about PK possibly moving. Um, uh, one thing you got to give it like David Poyle, of all of the GMs, when you meet him in person, when you talk to him, he's like the most, I always say he's like the, uh, the Leonard Nimoy of GMs. You know, like he is very much like yeah. that. His personality is very, very logical you know and every everything is and he even looks like he even looks like a vulcan you know he could just be a, no his ears aren't pointy no not pointy but he has that vulcan-esque type thing to him and, i'm not gonna uh, say a word because i know he listens to the show and i know i know and, uh, about I, love him. I love him dearly and, and he's he's such an interesting mysterious guy um who seems like he would be so conservative like you know in the being has been a gm in the state of tennessee for a very long time and yet like give the guy credit he is has, has balls of steel like he never is worried about making a trade. Like he doesn't, he will move PK Subban. He moves Shea Weber. He, you know, he gets, he, he, he moves out, you know, other guys. He, 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 I mean, gosh, he's moved out. I mean, to just for the get, to get Ryan Johansson, he'll move, he'll move Shea Weber. He'll move PK Subban and not even think twice about it. It feels like, you know, just like he's yeah. just not afraid of anything. I mean, part of that, it has to be like a GM who's been had job security for a very long time and knows he's not going anywhere. Yeah, that's a big part. Which helps, right? But at the same time, he also anybody when he makes these moves, he tends to be pretty good. I mean, pretty good about these moves. Like this, I, I think that he made a great trade here, and I think I also think it's a great trade for New Jersey. I think it's a one of those things that works for both teams. You know, that's and I think so too. Trade. I think the most underrated part of the trade is when everybody was sort of slamming David Boyle is Jeremy Davies is a heck of a defenseman. I've been covering him for four years. Yeah. And I found out on the slide that that Shiro really likes him. Likes him to the point where he really didn't want to give him up. But if you're going to get P.K. Subban, you got to give up something. And so, and look, Santini's an NHL average to below average defenseman. That's fine. He's a five. He's, he's, he's a yeah. five at this level. But I think, but I think 
what Davies can do is similar to what Will Butcher did. And I so, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 points. I think he's capable of that. And he might even start this year. I, I give credit to Jeff Keelty. I always give credit to Jeff Keelty. He he does such a good job with young players, developing scouting and otherwise that, you know what, that whole staff is on it. And so right. good for them to, to get somebody that Devils fans didn't even really know about or know enough about. So they said, oh, this is a total steal. Yeah. Well, the, the, the one – go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, and the fascinating part also as well, again, you get the two second-round picks um, out of the right. deal as well, both in 2019. And then the humorous part to me, for obviously from my perspective from in Philadelphia, was is that they used – the Flyers acquired that second-round pick as yeah. the Devils moved back so the Flyers can move up to get Bobby Brinks. So it was fascinating yeah. just to kind of see how the, how the trade kind of spiderwebs its, its way around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it, it and it, you know, and it's funny because they, when they got that pick, they had just made that trade, you know, and they, and they, they, you guys were at the draft, but on television, they panned to the Predators table, and you could tell, like, the Predators, the Predators just minutes ago had traded PK Subban. So you're thinking about, like, the way this has the, I mean, obviously, they knew they were, they were talking about it for a while, you know, and they finally made a decision, though, and that's a big decision, like, by any stretch of the man. It's a big PR decision. <clears throat> and it felt like to me they just weren't ready, like, emotionally to make this pick. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at them, they were just like, ah, fine, let's just move this to the Flyers. We'll get a couple picks. We'll make them a call today. I mean, because it just felt like, you know, I mean, literally, we were, there were like, there was like seven or eight minutes, I think, between them. It was just, it was just so, so. There were a few times that they were delayed, I think, Nashville on picks, I think, during the draft, right, Russ? Yeah. Well, at least a couple times where they were, they got close. Well, no, yeah. Nashville, Nashville in the seventh round took a five minute timeout yeah. and everybody yeah, was exactly. getting on their face. That was one of the circumstances where they were. I don't get it. I don't get it. Where it happened. Out there in the seventh round of an NHL draft. <laughs> yeah. Right, there's no way. They booed them. They got booed. Of course they did. I mean, you know, right. like, there's not, we got to get, I got to say something here, though, because like Matthew in the, uh, Chat room's like, well, if you count Ryan Suter and all these guys, this is what they got in return. You know what? To a franchise that doesn't draft well, it might be yeah. troubling. To a franchise that has Dante Fabro who could step right in, it's not right. that big a deal. To a franchise right. that stocked half the league with defensemen, put it that way. Right. And this is the thing. And we've said this on the show for two months. This trade was going to go down because they want to sign Roman Yossi to an extension. Exactly. They, right. they took little back in salary. I think Santini's making a little over a million bucks, and Davies is on his entry-level deal. This deal was made and facilitated completely to yeah. pay Yossi. And the thing is, uh, the Devils were not the only team that were interested in Subban. Before the draft, when, when Anthony and I were, or, and uh, Peter were on the floor uh, looking at uh, who was talking to who, Kyle Dubas and and uh, and David Poyle had a long discussion for like ten to fifteen minutes, and it was reported afterward. That Bob McKenzie and a few other people reported that the Leafs were in on Subban. But the problem is that the Leafs were only prepared to take Subban as a six million dollar defenseman, meaning that they would have to retain three million bucks, mm -hmm. and and the money was the most important thing. They did not get as good a return. For and it was a decent return, but they did not as get as good a return as they could have gotten because of the the, the, the nine million dollar salary that Subban is making. And I'll tell you, I, we'll talk about the deal that was made uh, yesterday and the one that was made or, or on the weekend and the one that was made today. The the NBA style deal is here in the NHL because there are deals being made where teams are getting robbed blind. But yeah, it's all yeah. for cap reasons. But it also the, the key thing is always we have to wait at least a couple, maybe a few weeks in the, in the circumstance because we can say it's also we could say it's Yossi, but 
It very well could be Nashville. It could be yeah. very well going after, you know, Matt Duchesne. We know Matt Duchesne is going to be out uh, meeting with Hoyle and his staff uh, this week at yeah. some point. So the money, if, if, if that money means that they could both make sure they have their cornerstone bedrock defenseman in Roman Yossi and be in play for, for Matt Duchesne to continue to strengthen the center position, then in many ways it, that, that's what we have to kind of wait for to see if that occurs. I mean, I was told flat out by my sources in Nashville that Duchesne is on their radar but is like third, fourth, or fifth on their radar mm-hmm. to what they want to do. So, and I, I don't, I don't think, and it was, I mean, it, everybody wants, and it, it, we all do this, and I, you know, not just saying, you know, seemingly loves, the, wants to play in Nashville, he's a musician, there's all that stuff, you know, a lot of that, but there's also other stuff that plays in, there's other, they, you know, they have scouting reports on Duchesne as, in, as a locker room presence, different things like that, different things that they want, you know, and there's all different sorts of stuff going on that I've heard that mean that, that you know, lean the predators towards not signing Matt Duchesne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more than more than signing him and i but i do believe and i also along those lines i think that they are definitely talking to the talking to the leafs about something and I, they have been talking to the leafs about something but they haven't been talking to the leafs about suban which is pretty funny because talking to my sources there they're like yeah the leafs really never had i mean what were, what everybody's saying there yeah the leafs would have to he'd have to be a six million dollar defenseman all that stuff i don't even think it got to that point in the discussions because the, the 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 predators knew first of all it was they made it pretty well known that they weren't going to keep much cap space if any before even so it's yeah. pointless to even even make that deal so but i think i think the 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 fact the leafs and the Le- the least and and predators were obviously talking I mean, you guys saw them talking even on the floor the fact that they were talking i think was more about the next phase after suban than it was about suban because well, I've heard okay. Newlander well, is very, very much in their plan. They're something that they, somebody that they very much like, and I think that that's kind well, of why they're targeting. And and that and that may very very well be the case, Zach. But the thing is, I, I doubt now that after trading Subban, now you've got Yossi, you've got Ekholm, you've got Ellis, you've got Fabro probably as your top four. I can't see them unless it's a two for two type of deal with like Zaitsev involved. Them trading one of their defensemen. You know, I don't see them trading Ryan Ellis or trading the OC or it, it's possible they do, but they also, I mean, cause they, cause they do obviously vibrate they have, and they have other guys they like too. And they could, they could sign another defenseman in, as, as, you know, in free agency, there's other ways they could go there. It depends. It, it really depends what, you know, what Toronto is looking for out of Nylander besides just the cap relief, which is a big thing still for the Leafs. So no, I mean, if, if they're trading a Nylander or they're trading a cadre, they're trading for a top four defenseman. That, that, I think that goes that goes without saying, and you know I know that Ella, Ella, like a top four, a reasonable defenseman though, right? <coughs> like, I mean, you can't because they still need money. They still need to get the money together. Well, I, a top four defenseman who you have cost certainty for term. It's like you know again, like an Ellis who just signed a, an, an extension is in the first year of his deal. They know how much he costs. It's it's one thing to, to trade that. It's another thing to trade for somebody who say is an RFA or in a year, and you don't know how much it's going to cost. There's cost certainty, and that was all the whole thing with uh with brett pesci there was cost certainty about trading for him because he's make you right. know what he's going to make for the next right. five years toronto can't trade cost certainty in nylander for something that could cost them more later on right which is a lot of the gossip beer talk i think is cost certainty as well and whether or not that's the guy they want to go for or not that's another one who's cost certainty but let's talk about let's and before we can move on to the other stuff let's also talk about the other big trade which is the patrick marlowe trade which happens of course tied mm-hmm. into it as well and this I'm so mad at myself for this because, you know, you, you talk to all these sources, you talk to all these people, and yet, you know, if I, if I was just 
forced by myself in solitary, I would have figured out that this is exactly what was going to happen because the, the, the history of Patrick Marlowe with San Jose is so strong and like, and especially with his wife in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all, had, I had heard, you know, we heard his wife had already moved back there. My, my wife's best friends, <laughs> try, try to follow this. My wife's best friend lives out there and her son is on a team with one of, with Patrick Marlowe, one of Patrick Marlowe's kids. And so mm-hmm. she is a hockey mom along with Patrick Marlowe's wife. So they're, they're friends. And so she's seen her, her around. So she's, she's like, yeah, she's moved back. And we all knew that that was, that was the case. Um, for the longest time, Marlo wouldn't leave San Jose because he really is all about being in family. He is all about being. So the second she moves home, we should have freaking realized that he was absolutely 100% going to go back to San Jose. It's just I'm so mad at myself for not just saying for like all these other paths that my brain took because I talked to people about the Kings and different right, but like but but the 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 missing step that I think everybody overlooked Dak, is the fact, and it only came came to be in the last few days before the trade yeah. happened, is that it would be a buyout. So it would be a Brooks Orpic type situation where right. he gets bought out by a team that he's traded to and then goes that to San Jose. Obvious, because that's the only way to get him back to San Jose because San Jose can only take him back without them, without having to pay him a lot. And right. so that has to go through a buyout. It has, so either, either the Leafs have to buy him out, which they can't afford to do because they're trying to get rid of all the cast space or the Leafs are going to do their thing, which is, which they did. And it was, a, I think a smart move, although a lot to give up for someone to just do this. Um, the first round draft pick for sure is an enormous amount, but they did it. And at the end of the day, I guess the question was Patrick Marlowe worth it for everything that they did. <laughs> like, you know, when you, question. I, I never quite understood, Mike, did you get in terms of the exact, I don't know why I never got it. The exact condition on that pick. Uh, it's, if it's a top 10, it moves to 2021. Thank you. But so it was lottery protection. You did say that it was lottery. Yeah, protection. It's, it, okay. I mean, it, it's not completely lottery protected right, because 11, 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 11, right. So, yeah. so, but, but, but to, to, to your point, Eck, I mean, in this league now cap space is extremely expensive. And at my first, my first reaction to this deal is that not that they got taken to the cleaners, but they paid a hefty price for Lou Lamorello's, Lula and remember, it was Lou that signed Marlowe. It was Lou that signed Zaitsev. Dubis is is cleaning up some, you know, and Lou did a lot of positive things in, in Toronto. But a, two of his biggest mistakes was the third year on Marlowe, and you can say that he wouldn't have gotten him without the third year, and that's probably true. But yeah. the third year on Marlowe and the seven year deal to Zaitsev, and they paid a first round pick in 2020 to get rid of that third year, and you know it's. I, you knew that when Dubas came out and said, well, maybe Patrick Marlowe is going to be, going to be back. You knew that it was sort of a bluff. It was completely a bluff that they, yeah. they were just looking for a deal that they didn't have to give up a premium draft pick, but that was the price that they had to pay. And if you believe the reports that came out probably hours after they traded Marlowe, they've pretty much got Kapanen and Janssen locked up on extended bridge deals. Right. So, they essentially flipped the money for Marlowe and turned it into long-term three and four-year deals for Janssen and Kapanen. And that, you know, that gives them some security in case there is a holdout with Marner or in case they have to trade Neilander, which I think that they're still yeah. going to do. Yeah. And that, that, I think you're right about all that stuff. Um, so the, moving on then from there, um, the, the, the other big trade of course is the Miller trade in Vancouver, right? So then that trade happens, um, JT Miller to Vancouver, Russ. What did you think of this deal? Well, 
JT Miller is on the downslide. He is. Doesn't matter about his age. He's been on the downslide for a couple years now. He he's a guy with just inconsistent play. There are flashes out there where JT Miller skates well. He's physical. He'll have shifts in a game where he'll just kill the opposition. He'll have two goals in the game, and then there'll be like five, six games, and JT Miller won't do much. I mean, at least he's at times hard to play against, but his salary, I always felt from day one, they just gave him way too much money. So in a way, they hurt him by giving him too big a salary because then it now you know limits him as he gets traded. So I don't know. I'm not sure if you're getting more than 40 points, 45 points out of JT Miller. So, you know, it's probably better that Tampa moved him at this point. Yeah, I mean, but... But t- t- this is the thing I thought was ironic. Tampa was in a position where they had the salary dump like Toronto. Now, there were different scenarios, but um, Miller would basically was a salary dump. In that deal, they got a first-round pick. So they were doing a salary dump, and they had an asset who, had, who gives Vancouver cost certainty for four years at $5.25 million. And I'm, I'm sure Vancouver is hoping that Russ is wrong and that he's not done. But if he is, then it's a terrible, terrible deal for them. I mean, he's not done, but you know, you, you don't remember what I said. I mean, he's just – You need to have reasonable expectations for what yeah. Miller is going to be able to provide you. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, if he's a 45-point player, I think Vancouver will be happy. I don't know if that's worth $5.25 million, but – That's it, the other Maybe. But it's product. Right. It's product. It's it's production at the minimum, and it, it justifies the deal in some. Yeah. And he's got. Right. You know, he's been around a winning team in in Toronto and Tampa. I mean, he can he can bring stuff there. Not in Toronto, obviously, but in Tampa, he can bring that winning winning attitude to them. Um. Yeah. So next thing I wanted to get into too before we before Anthony has to check out here, and because Anthony and Russ, you guys were at the um the Flyers thing today. Yep. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think. Where flyers have been, you know, as one person on Twitter tw- tweeted out the other day, you don't have to make a trade flyers every single day. But, you know, it seems like the flyers want to make a trade every single day right now. Um, Chuck Fletcher's making up for lost time, obviously. From he is. He's, uh, he's wheeling and dealing and making a lot of moves that people are every move that people seem to be questioning in some way, shape or form. And uh, it's individually. Each move is kind of strange. I wrote the other day and people, people ripped me about it, but I still believe that collectively they make sense because they're what they're trying to do is they are trying to obviously jump on this window of opportunity that they see mm-hmm. within the division where you know the a lot of the a lot of the younger teams are going to be really good in three to five years and a lot of the, be- the better teams right now in, in pittsburgh and washington are sort of falling off a little bit and they're in the middle there and it lines up, and it lines up again with yeah. the current core of Giroux, voracek who are yeah. in that in that window right now where they are in the primes of the, you know, the towards the end of the primes of their careers, where they're trying to make additions without losing too much. And so far, again, the two roster players that they've lost in all this wheeling and dealing are Radko Gudis and Ryan Hartman. Um, right. And at this, and in this circumstance, you've added two defense, you've added two defensemen, um, both of whom their contracts will be closing fairly soon. So it is in that it, you're right in that respect that, that it's within that three year window. It's just obviously the Hayes contract in this case, which obviously yeah. I got so many questions about, uh, big one. Yeah, I've been to run it to uh, Steve, Steve Dangle, uh, Steve Dangle uh, in Vancouver. And he was the first, first word out of his mouth was what's up with the Hayes deal. <laughs> we had a long conversation on that. And it was basically, again, that was the, you know, again, the price of business in this circumstance for Philadelphia. One point um, it really well to me that they said that, 
Elaine Vino's honeymoon present from the flyer. That's what I called it. I called him his wedding. His wedding. This was his wedding gift. You wanna said that actually? Yeah, I mean, everything they everything they got, everything they bought, everything was high, right? So yes, you know they're eating up cap space. The, the biggest thing that I worry about is you've got this window, like Anthony says, and he's right about it. You're all putting it on the back of a 20 year old goalie, though. That's what that's what's happened. That's where the where the goaltender that they acquire is going to be very extremely important in terms right. of who they who they get into backup because again we can't whether you want to look at last year as a perfect storm with the goalie injuries for Philadelphia and in many ways it was well, um, it's still something you have to it's still something you have to protect against you need to have someone especially with Carter Hart going into his second year as as strong as he is mentally it's still a hefty load it's well, still going to need that I, I have to say that there there is not one move that Fletcher has done that there's not one aspect that I don't like. Hayes is a fine player, but they paid him too much. No, you're, Braun, you're, you actually have to, too many neg double negatives. You hate all these deals, Mike, right? That's what you're. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, I think Hayes is a good player, but would I sign him for 7.14 for seven years? Not a chance in hell. Yeah. Uh, is J Justin Braun okay? You know, decent defenseman, but. You know he's made. I think he's making a little too uh, making a little too much. Um, I, I think the, the the Hartman for Pitlick deal is is ridiculous. Well, that's basically in this circumstance you're you're, you're shifting off an RFA in this yeah. circumstance uh, for Pitlick, who's going to be a UFA. And again, you do have other younger players in system that could potentially move into those into the spot that Hartman's going to be in. And as and and again, the X point before that he's mentioned the fact that the. It, it, it illustrates the fact that Philadelphia was never in love with Ryan Hartman. Yeah, like, they didn't like okay, well, two things. Hold on. Two, two things on that. I mean, Hartman only played 19 games. He had six mm -hmm. points. That point production will be better than what Pitlick does this year. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. Which I is going to be great. Whoever whoever's going to be put into that third line right wing role, whether it's a Morgan young player like Morgan Frost, which I don't think it will be, um, or somebody that they acquired, that next move. Those next two moves, other than the RFAs, which is the backup goalie and who they got to figure out who they're going to put in on third line right wing. Because Hartman, at least, you could have potentially slotted him up to third line right wing yeah. based on talent. Now, Pitlick is exclusively a fourth liner. So okay. that's what we and the, out. Yeah. and the biggest miscalculation of them all was signing Sanheim to a two year deal. Because I'm sorry, you get that guy locked up long term. Unless you're trying to get – you have an extremely complicated deal with Ivan Provorov that you're trying to figure out yeah, right that now. That will most certainly be in the seven- to eight-year range. It's yeah. going to be complicated. It's going to take a while. And that's the priority that they put on on that. And then is it kicking the can down the road for a couple years on, on Sanheim? Yes. But at least they'll know at least a couple more years in – some of those contracts come off the books. The Niskanen contract comes off the books at that point. So that's mm -hmm. money that they, that they can lose there in that circumstance. Braum will already be potentially gone. He's only got a year left on his deal. So the money is there. You have to kind of have to follow the direction yeah. of where you're going with this. I do want to tell one more cautionary tale, though. The Minnesota Wilds were in this similar position, and they rushed Luke Cunning. Now, he's a center, but, again, rushing young players is rushing young players, and they might rush one of those kids into the wing spot and they make it similar to low production and then sort of slow down their progress because Luke Cunningham's progress at 21 is slower than it should be. Yeah, that's it's a really good – I mean, I think what they did is they addressed – I mean, they, they've, they've been trying their best to address two major flaws that every Flyers fan or anybody who watched the Flyers last year 
would note, and that was the beginnings and endings of games, right? Like the Flyers, beginnings of games were horrible. They came out and they were always flat. I think that's where they, they hire all these badass coaches who are, ter- who are you know, really in-your-face guys to get that team fired up from the beginning of the game. And then the end of the game, they didn't really have – when the other team would pull their goalie, the Flyers were scored on, I think, as much as anyone else. And, and because they really didn't have those shut, like they would put the shutdown defenseman out there, like a Niskanen or a Braun, two guys who have experience in that situation who can actually help. That's where they will use those guys because the younger guys, like Provorov, was okay at that. But you know, this is where you couldn't put Gosses there. Dan, you know, and these other guys, it's a really tough spot to trust um, a young goalie with a young defense when the other team has their six best players on the ice trying to tie the game. That they ran into that time and time again, and they got squirted they got their noses bloodied a lot. They got their noses bloodied a lot. They really did, and I think that what they did is they, they said, okay, and when Gudis was out of the lineup, you really saw it, that they didn't have anybody to play back there in that situation, and it became a real problem. So now they have they, they replaced Gudis with two guys who are probably both you know, be, maybe slightly better defensively. Different tools. I would say Braun probably in this circumstance carries a little more of, of, of the Gudis-esque yeah. physicality standpoint, but a guy like Niskin in this case, you know, as long as he's – the Niskanen of a couple years ago and not last year um, is a cool customer under pressure. And yeah. that would help certainly with a guy like – with, with a defenseman like Ivan Provorov, that's the yeah. kind of partner that he needs. Very much so. Very much so. And I think that, that, that they, need, they needed experience. There's nothing like NHL experience on defense. You just can't – you know, a guy might not be as talented, but you've got to have experience at times to just run into that, right? So that's, that's what they ran into. I mean, now as far as the draft goes with um, – the fact that they passed on Caulfield twice, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of NHL, a lot of people was like, he becomes a, a stellar player. Like, they remember they passed on to Brinkat, um, you know, and he became, now if they, they passed on him once, they actually passed on Caulfield twice. I, I would never have done it. Here's, this is the way I look at it. The Flyers draft was good. There's no question about it. Yeah. But no one's going to say it was great until you find out what Caulfield does. And some of the kids at the end of it. And, and you got to see if, if, you know, because basically, let's face it, at the end of the day, getting that score would precipitated them moving up, moving up a second and a third round pick to get Brink. So now you're invariably going to have that comparison for yeah. years from now yeah. between Brink and Caulfield. Now, right. the two things I think that are really interesting about it is people really are concerned that Caulfield is just a goal scorer. He is not. He's fast. Yeah. He's he defends. His defense started getting better this year. He is strong. Like, he did 16 pull-ups. I mean, people, like, are looking at worried about him like like he's going to fall apart the minute he gets hit. Yeah. None of those things are going to happen. The other thing is, I honestly think, and I still think it, and I wrote an article two months ago, and it got one pick short. I do think if Pod Colson was there, they would have taken him anyhow. I think that was their target. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair. I think if Puck Colson was there, there's a good chance they, they sit at 11 and just take him. I, I, I actually agree with that. I know we, we rushed to discuss the fact that they had conversations yeah. with the Combine and Buffalo. So, yeah, if he was I, there, yeah, that's possible. They met a full I'll be right. I, Minnesota took right before them that they also liked. There was rumors that that was who they were. Was it Boldy? Boldy was another one, yeah. Boldy, 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 they, they were – I think they must have loved uh, – Colson a bit more, but I think he was taking 12 back. He was always they could have taken him. 12 right after he literally went right yeah, after they could have taken him. But I think they maybe gambled that. I think the people, people in general, and I was talking to thought the wild were going to take the goalie, right? That that's who they were, they were going to go, and that Florida was Florida 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 Florida. almost the whole way. When I was when most people I talked to, especially when we got into the tens and lower, I was hearing Florida 
by a lot of people in this circumstance, and that's exactly what happened. They ended up taking him at 13. Yeah. Yeah, and they would have had him. I have to say that I'm I'm proud that I can only do 16 pull-ups less than a first-round pick <laughs> in the NHL draft. Oh, uh, man. Well, I know you have to go, Anthony. You're putting yourself up to stand better, Mike. Anthony's got to go. I appreciate it, Anthony. Thanks so much for coming on, okay? Thanks. 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 Take care. Talk to you guys. Okay. You okay, Eck, we, ha- we, we have to talk about the most ridiculous deal of them all, and that was the deal that was made yesterday. It was yesterday, correct? Yeah, the, yesterday. The, 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 okay, clearly, clearly there is a budget in Carolina, and that's not exactly a bulletin here, but that's the only thing that can justify the stupidity of Don Waddell in making the deal that where, where he gives up Calvin DeHaan, who – Okay, he's injured right now. He played part-time in the playoffs, but he's a good defenseman who was rather well sought after in yeah. free agency last year. And Sorella, who was a Ranger draft pick, traded in the Eric Stahl deal and had a really good season in Charlotte. I saw firsthand yeah. when he played against the Marlies. He's probably going to be an NHL or next year, you know, either next year or the year after. And they gave up the worst goaltender in league history in Anton Forsberg and Gustav Forsling, who's a 6'7 defenseman. It was a pure salary dump. Now I don't know if it's it was I don't know if it's a salary dump because Jake Bean is ready to play, or they're going to re-sign Justin Falk, or they need the extra cap space, which they don't have. They have oodles of cap space right now, but they need extra money in their budget to sign Yaaho. But those are the only motivations: pure, unadulterated money. And honestly, Mike's right. You have to look at that. And you have to look at, you know, Tony McDonald was the director of scouting. He just retired. And you have to look at another scout that just retired. And you have to look at the goalie coach that left. And these, this, all these things happen when you don't get paid to what people think they're worth. And the crazy irony of this, okay, the absolute worst irony of this whole thing, and I, I've been trying my best to give, like, Dunn and the benefit of the doubt on this because I, I like when people do things a different way. I like right. when people do stuff like you know when people take chances on things i'm not it doesn't always have to be the same way i'm not one of these hockey purists everybody has situation, which most people are like that in this world that we live in but um i but the the crazy thing is that they would do this with chicago because chicago is is, there were people that done when dundon came in there he fired francis for doing bad trades with Chicago. I was flat out told this. Like he said that Chicago there was like, Francis had relationship like with friends with like Olchek you know and one of one that like Eddie Olchek's brother was on their staff too and and oh, yeah. and in Chicago there's all these things like the Darling deal and all these other trades that happened with with Teravinen Teravinen with Carolina yeah. Chicago, Dundon thought there was crazy. He couldn't believe that there was this crazy that they were in bed with Chicago that Chicago was stealing them was robbing them blind basically and I heard all of this stuff about Chicago and how he was pissed off and Francis was gone because he made bad trades with Chicago. And for this, the fact that they had to send Don to Chicago was just like the kicker on it all to me. I was like, that's just insane. Like, how could that possibly be? You can't write a story like that. It's just, it's not possible. It was just absolutely nuts. Um, And yeah, but you know, Stan Bowman gave him credit. I mean, Bowman made it happen. And, uh, and now, and now Chicago. I mean, with with a little a, a little cap flexibility that they had, and I, I don't think Bowman's done making deals. But they added Mata, who is not a perfect defenseman, but I think he's an upgrade over some of the guys that they have. They, now they've added Dahan, and Dahan apparently is going to be out until November with a shoulder injury. But when out, when all of them are back, their defense is much better, 
and they don't have to rush kids like Yokoharu and Boquist into the NHL if they're not ready. So they buy themselves a little bit of time, and they give the they give Jeremy Colleton some experience on the blue line. And if you look at the way they made a second half charge last year, they they lost the playoff spot in the first half. They were one of the better teams in the in the Western yeah, Conference in the were. second half. They were, and they're going to be. They have talent. I mean, they got this is a team that they are not. You know, I mean, they have good talent. They have they still have some serious players there, and they have. He's doing a good reset job here. Yeah, he he's done a good reset job a couple times. You know, I mean, this wow. is like. I mean, Bowman has had to reset. I mean, the the Blackhawks won the won won two Stanley or they won three Stanley Cups with two different teams, a completely different team. Like he reset that 2010 team completely. Um, yeah, and you're and you're probably going to see them trade. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about Anisimov. And how you know that they may trade him because they think Strom can move move into the number two. Well, that he took over the number two spot last year, and Isimov, um, his contract I think is over four million bucks. So they could, you know, budget there and m- maybe address other needs because I think they probably need some more secondary scoring. And Isimov isn't exactly a big scorer anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and they moved they moved they moved Hayden for Quenville. So Bowman Bowman's been busy. I mean, and I think he's going to continue to be busy because he knows yeah. that that. That team needs to um, add a few pieces to, uh, you know, Brandon side could be moved as well. It's the only way. It's the only way he could stay competitive. Heck, we should mention, just because I was right, really, for no other reason, that Craig Rubik got a three-year extension. But yeah. you have to give Armstrong credit on this because, yeah. again, he yeah. could have fallen in love with Greg, Craig Rubik and given him a five-year deal, and no one would have blinked an eye because they just won the Stanley Cup. Right. But he probably looked at Craig Rubik's record and said, you know what? If he has a real good run here, I'll give him a two-year extension or three-year extension during this contract. And the cool thing about this, I bet Craig Ruby said exactly the same thing to him. Right. Like, Craig Ruby was probably like, I don't want a five-year deal. Give me a three-year deal. I'll, I'll, yeah. say, you know, I'll take less money for three years. You'll pay me a lot more for five years. Yeah, he is that kind of guy. You're right. And he, you know, and because I bet for Ruby, you know, as superstitious as he – because Ruby comes from that, you know, that Flyers world. That was in that particular Flyers era was the most superstitious hockey team I've ever been around. Like everything about the, that they did had to be exactly the same all the time. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Ruby still wants to be announced as the interim coach of the St. Louis Blues. You know, <laughs> like it was throughout the entire Stanley Cup Finals, like in, in, in both buildings. In both buildings, they would announce. You know, they announced the starting lineup, and then they would announce Craig yeah. Ruby as interim head coach. I'm like, you know what? I'm all, I'm interim for the next three years. You know, that if I was him, I would keep that going. But that's just how crazy Bruby is about the whole thing i bet you anything he's just he's gonna stay as interim coach <laughs> it's just because that's his that and, and you're right i mean this is this is what's the good thing about armstrong and Bruby. this was like an easy negotiation yeah. i'm sure it was not like anything crazy. Almost no negotiation it probably was no negotiation at all um and he, you know he's a i'll give you i wouldn't i don't want to give you five years he's like yeah you will give me three years you'll pay me more and you'll pay me more year four and five i'll take it right. you know that's the way Bruby would be about it um Man, so much to get to, so little time. The um, all right. So Bobrovsky and Panarin as the the Bob and Pan Summer 2019 tour, I'm calling it. Um, <laughs> well, well, they are now in New York, and uh, so they started off in Florida, where they weren't supposed well, to meet with Florida until like they weren't going to meet with Florida until Thursday, but now they're in New York, and it's Tuesday. Well, if, if, if Bobrovsky, you know, had relatives in the KGB, um, they'd never heard of Instagram because. <laughs> I mean, if he was trying to keep things secret, posting your ticket on Instagram and saying, I'm go- I'm in Florida and I'm going to New York, it sort of lets the secret out of the bag. It feels a little negotiation-ish, too. Um, 
It feels like, you know, we went with, because, you know, they, they weren't going to meet with Talon until Thursday, I mean, but they met with other people in Florida, of course, and they talked to other people down there, you know, and and the, the interesting side note that's going on here is is there are some agents who are telling me and different people are telling me that they, are, that, that they believe that, remember Bobrovsky and Panarin are being represented by the same guy, okay? right? And they think that that he is trying to sell, like, Bobrovsky and to Florida, Bobrovsky and Panarin to Florida for like like a package deal, you know, like basically mm-hmm. okay, he's an agent, so he's like, okay, so you got say you have twenty million dollars to spend for these two players. All right, dude, he would give, you know, you would probably if you were going to you give eight to Bob, twelve to Panarin, something like that, eleven to Panarin, nine to Bob, somewhere there. Um, but if he's trying to sell it as a package where they get exactly the same deal for each other, it kind of is interesting how that could play out and that how that's playing out to a little bit may be not liked by the, both Panarin and Bobrovsky's side. And you might be actually seeing a split up between the two of them that's making it more likely that they don't sign in the same place. Um, which is sort of a weird, you know, side story. Um, well, I mean, that was that was the dynamic with Suter and with, with Barry Parise right, in, in Minnesota. And it's... It, it, worth similar, more, I mean, I think this, if you were going to look at these two players, Bobrovsky and Panarin, could you say that they're both worth $10 million? No, I think I think I think Panarin is. Yeah, I think Panarin, I think Panarin is clearly more valuable than yeah. Bob. Yeah, he's going to get more if they, if they weren't being represented. If this none of this was happening, Panarin would get more than Bob on the open market, right? I think this dual tour is helping Panarin because, as an example, I thought Panarin was pretty close to a lock with the Rangers, but then they're like, "Well, no, they're going to be doing this together and likely to Florida." So then I changed my mind and said, "All right." He's probably 75 to Florida, 25 to the Rangers. But now that he's actually meeting with the Rangers, there's a really good chance they're going to sign Panera no matter what number I put to it. Yeah. Well, is he is he meeting with the Rangers or is he meeting with the Islanders or is he meeting with both? He's meeting with both, I was He's meeting with both. And uh, and as is both of them, actually, Panarin and Bobrovsky are both meeting with both of them, um, which is curious. I mean, you know, so Bobrovsky is actually meeting with the Rangers now. You know, that doesn't seem to make any logical sense on anyone's mindset right now. But, you know, if you guess if you're there, it's no big deal to meet with both of them, right? So, right. you know, but, but I do think that this, the, the idea of them signing together has become very muddied. And I think the chances of them signing together is not as likely as it is unlikely. Like, I, what I, is this? I'm going to give you a scenario here. Yeah. Panarin signs, you know, a five-year, six-year deal with the Rangers, nine and a half, ten million bucks. What if Bob signs a one-year deal with the Islanders and then next year the Rangers go up to Lundquist and say, all right, look, there's one year left on your deal. Yeah. Do you still want to be here? Because we're going to bring in Bob and you're just going to play fewer games if you do. Yeah. No, that's that's an interesting, interesting concept um, and very possible. Although I think Bob is like 90% of Florida. I really do. Like I think that that's – uh, I th- and I think Panarin is down to like the Rangers, the Flor- the Rangers, Panthers, and the Islanders. And I think I think the Rangers and Islanders are ahead of the Panthers. And I think because honestly, the Panthers don't need Panarin. You know, like they, I mean, they, they really they need Abrasky. They, they might for fans. They might, but they the really are bored. The fans are bored with the players yeah, they have. I can see that. That's true. But they they there's other there's deep. They need help on defense. They need help. like their offense is not bad at all in Florida, right? So that's not. But so if you're going to spend 12, like to go out, you're right. I mean, but is Panarin like, uh, is he going to sell tickets there? But if you're already signing Bob, like, if you got, how is the Russian top person there? I don't know. But Bro- nobody, but Bro- nobody, 
Bobrovsky, I think, is, is is actually actually will help them sell tickets. Like I think that there there's no question there's a goalie issue there, and Bob and they all know that there's a goalie issue there, and Heck, then, and Bob comes the, in and helps him sell. The motivation in Florida cannot be sign this guy so they sell tickets. It's sign this guy that makes you win, then you will sell tickets. I, I, the Florida fan base is proven to me. It's yeah, it's proven to me over the last twenty five years. The only thing that they are attracted to is winning, yeah. and that, that, that's a lot. That's the, the same thing with a lot of markets. So you don't go and say, "Well, you know, he's a dynamic personality and he'll sell." No, no. The only thing you can do is make the team the best team that you can, and if they win, the people will come. And and you know, the thing is that they signed both Bobrovsky and Panarin, and more than likely you're going to see somebody like Huberto get traded because they're going to need to probably you know they'll be up against the cap if yeah. they do sign both of them. So they're going to have to create some space because you know even if they sign both of them, I think that Florida is still a team that needs to improve. Yeah, if they sign both of them, then they're they're on their way. I mean, they I mean if they sign if they sign Bobrovsky, they're on. I mean, Florida is not that far away from the rest of the division. Well, the the curious thing though is. The answer about what's going to what Luongo is going to decide is yeah. supposedly going to happen in the next couple of days. They've got this dilemma right now where you've got a goaltender who nobody wants at three point four million dollars in James Reimer, which means probably you're going to have to buy him out. Uh, you have you have uh, Luongo with the with the, the uh, front loaded contract, the cap recapture deal. Um, that you know if he if he retires, then Vancouver is in deep trouble. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of things going on with Florida yeah. regarding the goaltenders that's going to cause problems. Oh, yeah. No, there are, for sure. Um, I think that's going to be fascinating. Pavelski is the other one that's interesting right now because Pavelski is doing his tour as well, um, You know, meeting with Tampa. I heard meeting with the Islanders, uh, meeting with Minnesota. Um, what do we think? I mean, I mean, I, the feeling really – I still can't help but think that Pavelski is going to end up with the Sharks. It just feels too well, great. Like this, this would be the this would be one of the stranger things that we've ever seen. I think that the, the, there, there is some there's in order for this to happen, there is something much larger that we don't know about in San Jose the, that's driving Pavelski out of there. The meeting with Tampa makes no sense yeah, unless he's well, right? Unless right. he's willing to unless he's willing to take a one year deal for low money to win a cup. That's the only way it makes sense. But at the, you know, but the problem is he's 34 right now, and if he took a one year deal anywhere. Then he's a 35 and over contract, and he costs himself some money. For him to do, and Tampa doesn't need Pavelski in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't. It does, there's, no, there's no understanding. That, I mean, the only thing I can think of there is like Tampa's just doing him a favor to like to try to get San Jose to make a move, like to, like to try to like to say, okay, he, Tampa's an exciting place for him to sign. So you better get on. I just the, if he signs someplace else, this has to be. There has to be some deeper story that will never come out. Yeah, I'll give you the deep story. He may show up like in Vancouver with a bag of Lay's potato chips. <laughs> there you go. Old Dutch. Old Dutch. No, 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 Mike. You're missing the point. You know? Don't focus on the potato chips. It's the player. Mark Messier did that. There I you know. Go. All right. So let's talk about the Hall of Fame before we get out here. Um, because Hall of Fame was announced today. The, the, only, the only lock, which we all knew about ahead of time, was Haley Wickenheiser, which is... Yeah, that's there was no discussion about that. That was she's as she's as big as you get in women's hockey. There's no two ways about it. Gretzky in women's hockey, really. She really is, and you know, thrilled for her. She's you know she should be have her own Hall of Fame. Um, she's all set. But then after that, it got really strange today. I thought, yeah, like, really yeah. strange. Like compared to even the people that were predicting who was going to get in there. Um, you well, have, the only one. The, the, the only. Uh, the let, me only one. Let me go through it real quick. Yeah. Um, so we have Guy so, Carboneau. Um, 
a Jimmy Rutherford in, in building, you know, um, which is fine. Yeah. Right. Jerry, Jerry York, Sergey yep. Zubov, Zubov, and um, Baklov Nedimonsky, who, for those of you who don't know, um, scored 20 goals for Toronto, or 50 goals for Toronto at one point, but it was the Toronto Toros. <laughs> um, but he did have a 50 goal season with the Toronto Toros. Um, but he's an older player, obviously. <laughs> Anybody who played with the Toronto Toros would be. Well, uh, okay. The, the Zuboff selection has been. You know, in the mix for years because yeah. he had such such a great career with the with the Rangers, with Pittsburgh, with Dallas. I mean, I, I think it took too long for him to get in there. Uh, Guy Carboneau, don't you know? I, I have a lot of respect for Guy Carboneau as a player, but he wasn't even mentioned among the Larmers and the Roenicks and everybody else that was. Um, so that like that one's out Alverson. of the. I mean, Daniel Alverson is another one I just thought. Well, I have no problem with Daniel Alverson never making it, but that's just, well, just me. Make it, and Theo Fleury is another one that should make it. Well, Alexander McGillney is better than both of them. And McGill, right? Yeah, like uh, 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 McGillney on what he did alone for hockey, like is on just people don't remember the way you know we do. Like he was when they when they snuck him out of Russia, you know, in, in the back of a car, in the trunk of a car. I mean, to come over here, this superstar already in Russia, who done had an incredible year over the career over there already. There's no reason in the world that alone should get McGillney into the Hall of Fame. But then he also was skill his skill was way high enough to get in the Hall of Fame. McGillney is like a freaking no brainer. That's crazy. I mean, I'll I'll say this, and again, not it's not meant to denigrate, denigrate Guy Carboneau, but if Guy Carboneau gets in, it's sort of like Bernie Federico and Craig and Clark Gillies back in the day. If Bern, if uh, 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 Guy gets in, then Curtis Joseph should get in. I mean, you've low. I think you've lowered you've lowered the I'll level throw, a little bit. No, but I'll throw I'll throw somebody that's better than both of them right now at you, and that's Mike Richter. Mike Richter is better than yep. Joseph or Carboneau. Mike Richter not only won a Stanley Cup in New York, won won the World Cup of Hockey with America with the U.S. Both of those both of those performances. If you just watch those those both of those performances in every stuff, you're like, this guy is definitely a Hall of Famer. They were both unbelievable performances. I mean, that that World Cup doesn't happen without Richter. Bottom line. There's no way that Stanley Cup doesn't happen without Richter. That's like, he, you know, there's, there's, the, you know, but again, he's, he's, and, and, and Patrick Ilyash too, like, that's another one that just baffles me. Like, Patrick, yeah, Ilyash, Ilyash would be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. I mean, Ilyash, if he did what he did for any Canadian. No. Team, I, uh, and I, all those cops that you won. Ilyash, Ilyash was a flat out stud scorer, played everywhere on the ice, played every situation. Um, could skate like the wind, won Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup, and never missed a game. Just was like completely ridiculous. You know what the problem is? Carboneau played for Montreal, and he was a great defender too. So there's a lot of different things you could argue with him for. I mean, he's better than Dick Duff, but I mean, that's not saying much. But he also, and he also, positions, I get it. He also stayed in the game too. Like Carboneau stayed yeah, in the game he's after. Better than Clark Gillies. I get it. A lot of people thought Doug Wilson might get it because he's been a GM. Okay, so let's talk about Doug Wilson for just a moment. Because yeah. Doug Wilson should have been in like five to ten years ago. Right. He, he's a guy that was in the Norris conversation every year. He won the Norris. Like I don't know what else Doug Wilson could have done in his career. Yeah. Would preclude him from getting in. Like I, I believe. I believe his big year, Russ. He scored thirty-nine goals. I remember yeah. that, that that year with 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 Savard and Larmer. Yeah. It was yeah. like early. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible why he's not in yet. And then, and then we also talk about Jeremy Roenick, who I think you know, uh, you know, a lot of people have their mixed feelings. I mean, Roenick, I think he like Flurry, 
like personality stuff sometimes gets in the way of what he really was as a player. But as a you know, Flurry as a player was crazy good in an era where you know there were a lot of crazy good players. Flurry was as good, you know. And someone else brought up say another name which I think does, just gets ignored. Oh, so there's Ronick, and then um, then you have also have Pierre Turgeon who had like an amazing career as well. He did, um, you know. And people just sort of like never never give Pierre Turgeon any credit whatsoever. You know, I think I'll that, tell you what, for the amount of points Ronick has at a plus one fifty three, he should be in. Yeah. John, the problem is in that era, he's getting penalized for like Larry Walker playing with Colorado Rocky. Same thing. Everybody's like, well, it was that era, and who cares about his 150 point season, whatever he had? You know, they don't care. Did he do 130 points with the Islanders? Yes. John? I mean, just yeah. like that's, that's like the leading scorer all time for the Islanders? Player. He was an offensive player, but a tremendous offensive player. Yeah. Like just nuts. And, you know, I, I, actually, I actually think he's hurt by the fact that. He played for as many teams as he did because remember yeah, yeah. Buffalo Islanders, Montreal, St. Louis. I think Dallas was in there as well. I think what he played for five teams, maybe six. I mean, that's you know usually a player of his stature, the former number one overall pick, you know, doesn't move around as many times he as did he did play for six teams. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which one did they miss? Thirteen hundred points. He's more than a point a game. Yeah, I I agree. How do you put Bernie Federko in and you don't put Turgeon in? Like that's just stupid. Hey, I was at the draft that Peter Turgeon was drafted. It was in Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, it's just he had one two, he had one fifty-eight goal season. He had two forty goal seasons. He had two thirty-eight goal seasons. Like, come on. Maybe I'm misremembering that. I, think, yeah. I thought it was in Buffalo. Yeah. Anyway. No, I think I I just me to me the whole thing, I just think that he's one of Lady Bang, if that matters. I mean, the argument will be made by everybody when they're listening to conversations that we're talking about a lot of great players, but not Hall of Fame players. And then the whole discussion of like, okay, where, what defines a Hall of Famer? And if that's the case, then maybe there isn't anybody but Haley Wickensizer in this one, um, this, this go around, which is, you know, poss- I mean, possible, but I think that so much of the, what we've seen so much of the Hall of Fame is, is there's a Canadian bias to it. There's a Canadian team bias to it. There's a bias to it for staying in certain places, I mean, because there's no question that, and Ilyash is the perfect example. Let's Ilyash, go through this one second. I think you'll like this. Yeah. So the Hart Trophy voting for 92-93. Mario Lemieux number one, 160 points. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Doug Gilmore's two, 127 points. I get it. He did a lot of things. Pat LaFontaine is third, 148 points. Adam Oates is fourth, 142 points. Kershaw is fifth, 132 points. And Solani is sixth. With 132 points. And that was his rookie year. Yeah. I, that's just crazy. I mean, look at the point, amount of points are being put. And then this year we have, you know, like everybody thought this year, you did, we're crying out loud, you know, we get Kucherov who puts like, you know, 120 points on the board and that's like the craziest thing ever, you know? So, and it is, it is because we haven't seen those kind of numbers forever. So here's the weird thing. I wish there were transparency in 92, 93. Cause I want to know who the schmuck was that gave Mario Lemieux one second place vote. Who the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. This is a, in the years before Twitter, man. When you could hide, you could get away with anything. You could hide anything you wanted. You know what I mean? There's no question about it. Um, I think so. Um, so, this is a tough. It's a tough thing. But I think guys that really need more consideration in my mind: um, Flurry, Richter, Turgeon, um, those, and McGillney. McGillney, no, McGillney is McGillney's such a no-brainer. 
is such a no-brainer. It's crazy. Um, people forget how good McGillney was and also how good he was before he played in the NHL. Like the the KLM line in, um, you know, Lariana, McGillney, and... No, 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 no. It was no. Bure, Bure, Fedorov, and oh, McGillney. Right. I'm, thinking right. the, I'm combining the two big Russian lines, sorry. It was Bure, Fedorov, and McGillney. That line just was ridiculous, right? And, and they... You know, they all went to the NHL. Like Burry is in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Federer's in the Hall of Fame. Yep, yep, yep. So I mean, McGillney, and but McGillney was the first one to get to the NHL, right? So because he defected. Because he right. defected, right? And that that opened the door for so many other Russians. I mean, that should be taken into account in this whole thing. Well, and and you know, I, like I'm a fan of international hockey, and I do believe that players um, like Yakushev last year should be right. Um, should be honored. I have to look. I mean, honestly, I and I know Nedimansky only from I think he was with Detroit, Russ, and it was clearly when he was over the hill because uh, it was him and like guys like Milan Novi who played for the Capitals who came to the NHL in their 30s and really didn't have any kind of impact at all. I'll have to look at his international record of what he scored because on on like right now off the top of my head, I think I don't understand this pick, but I'll have to look and see what he did and justify uh, him being elected to the Hall of Fame. This is the crazy part. So McGillney isn't just a little over a point a game. He's 1,032 points in 990 games. And with the Jersey Devils, at the age of 31, he had 83 points. At the age of 31. Right. In an like era where no one was scoring at all. Right. I mean, that's that a team that played no offense. That like, Right. A Devils team that, like, that, that sent one guy in. And like completely, you know, that 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 invented the trap and basically killed hockey for a decade. That Devils team. Yep. So, and, and, Toronto, and that, the year he scored thirty three with Toronto, he had a twenty point oh shooting percent. Right. Uh, and that's not even his highest. Oh my goodness! My goodness. Um. Yeah. Yeah, and he played that bum. He was forced yeah. to play that bum, Matt Sundin. <laughs> a couple quick questions from the chat room. I did mention today that Panarin, the fly, there was a rumor that the Flyers were going to touch base with Panarin while he was in New York. Not, and I obviously think that's a long shot to get him. I think you put him on hold if he called, if they called. I, I get the, yeah, they, they definitely <laughs> do want to be in the discussion for all this stuff. Like they wanted to be in the discussion for Tavares, but it doesn't seem like they will be. All um, right. So, Tavares. I, there are some questions that yeah, the Flyers tried. The Flyers tried. The Flyers wanted to get. They wanted to sign Tavares. Oh, 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 you mean last? I mean, I thought you were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. Like, but they couldn't get it. Sorry. Know. There are some questions. He signs there either. I'm just saying that that, yeah. that there is rumor out there that they're trying to talk to him. There are some questions here that should get answered. Um, I'm going to go with Kristen McCarthy's first. He said, "Russ, is there more to why Wade Allison hasn't been signed?" There is. So Wade Allison told us today that 17 months after his knee surgery, he's still in a fair amount of pain for his knee. He only played at about 50% last year in college hockey for Western Michigan. So that's why. Okay. But this place got guts, and I really hope his knee gets better because I really like the kid. A lot of people asked me last year at how he was doing, and I saw a game, and I knew he was slow. And I never said anything. I wouldn't report on him at all last year. Now that I found this out, I even told Allison I, I withheld it, and, and he thanked me because it's like, you know what, that's why sometimes we don't report stuff because I knew he had knee surgery, and I figured he was probably still recovering. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be fair, you know. It's like, so that's, that's part of being fair, I think. Anyhow, um, ghost trade, there's really no news about a ghost trade. Like, I think that's dying. I do. Um, it, it, it's... I think what the Flyers are waiting on on that. I don't think it's dying. I think the Flyers have decided. 
Fletcher is very calculated in the way he does things for finding that yeah. out. But he and I think he's decided that he's going to let the dust clear on some other guy on some of the UFAs. Like you know, basically let Gardner go somewhere, um, see where Zaitsev ends up in a trade, see you know, you know, see where these other because you know, I, I also think that there's no question that Tyson Barry will be traded. Yeah, uh, where that so so he can sit back and wait with Ghost and then wait for the team that really needs him. I think that's the thinking on that, and he's because there's no reason to rush a Ghost trade to happen right now unless someone just comes in and blows out blows him away with the trade. But I say, well, the Flyers are going to move a defenseman. It's going to be. They're, 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 that's going to Robert Hag. That's why I think it's going to be. But I hear that they really like the fact that Hag has a more of a defensive hitting style that they need, and that I think is something that. But they got a guy, Adam Gittin, who drafted in maybe two more years. Is that guy? Yeah, but this is not well, a four-year team right now. In my opinion, the way they're looking at this thing, they're looking at this like they've got a window this year and next year. Whether or not you believe that or not, that's where that's how they're acting in their movement, their thing, their things that they're doing. Well. I, I, I don't know if there are any uh, uh, leaf questions in the chat, there are two. Us, but I, there are, I just okay. Go so ahead. The first one is: Would you go pay ahead. Dion for enough seven hundred thousand? Okay. Yes, so that's what I, I thought. Would. The second one is from Jerkball. He's asking me, and then I'll let Mike comment. Russ, are you going to address the picks the Leafs took? All I will say is their OHL bias is strong. Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is definitely a tendency, a tendency. to. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a tendency to stick close to home. The kid that they drafted in the second round, uh, Nick Robertson from um, from Peterborough, uh, they're one of their prospects, SDA, uh, Simeon Dargushintev, if I'm probably butchering that, but um, he played there. They scouted him heavily. They were very interested. But I, And I commented to you, Russ, and we talked to somebody uh, who's rather uh, knowledgeable about the scouting situation that, the Leafs are drafting the same players over and over. It's skill, it's speed, it's lack of size, um, and they, you know they don't care about the size. They care about the uh, the uh, you know the hockey IQ and the speed and the skill over size. And I think that's fine. But you also have to have players with size too. Now, what, one thing in you know we're going to hear a lot of stuff over the next few days. I just love the spin that's coming out of the martyr camp that's being funneled through their sort of mouthpieces in the media when it comes to um, the offer sheet scenario. And, you know, Dubas talked about this uh, on, on Saturday when we were asking questions about, uh, about the martyr situation, about other things. Um, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but the, uh, I believe it was Mackenzie and Drager both mentioned that Kapanen and Janssen are basically agreed to deals. The problem is, the thing the thing is, is they haven't announced them yet because once you announce them, then it counts against the cap. They're keeping their powder dry when it comes to Marner because they want to make sure they don't know where you know how much it's going to cost them for Marner. And Dubas even said Marner, in so many words, is preventing them from doing other business. And at a certain point. Now, you know, Darren Ferris doesn't care about that, but the Leafs do. So mm -hmm. if they miss if they miss out on op on opportunities to improve their defense because Mitch Marner is dragging his feet for an extra five hundred thousand dollars a year, that doesn't help the Leafs in the long term. So I think Dubas at a certain point is gonna say, Okay, well, you know what? We, we want you back. We want you back badly, but you have to do something here um, to get this done. In, in a timely fashion, otherwise it hurts us in the long term. And remember, the Flyers aren't doing this; aren't having, aren't doing the same thing for Provorov, which people are ripping them about. You know, like the Flyers aren't 
basically saying we're not going to do anything until we figure out Provorov's contract. Right. They're, they're out there, but they're out there still making moves and stuff like that. Well, to the point we're sitting there and saying that, that really hurts their chances of signing Provorov, perhaps. But it, 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 you can't sit back and wait for players. They, they well, tried with Provorov for a long time to get more of a commitment to where they want to be. And the issue they've had with Provorov, from what I've been told, is they're getting really nothing back. They're getting like, they're getting, okay, they're, Basically, waiting for McAvoy and yep. Wawinski to sign, and there's a program that doesn't is not throwing and anything. Everybody, yeah. And everybody and everybody supposedly is is waiting for Marner to sign Ranton and and Point yeah. and everybody else. Yeah, and then that's and right, and that that's a problem because this should be getting done, and instead it's it's dragging, and I don't think it's going to be good for anybody either side. I will tell you this also, and I forget who asked it, but somebody asked why didn't. Um, Columbus trade guys right at the uh, draft. You have to have a team interested in, in doing that to be able to make that trade. And Yarmo, I was standing right next to him when he was addressing the media on the draft floor, and he worked the phones. Like, he did all that he could. It just wasn't there. And I want to throw this out there, too. It is not impossible that that still happens and that they trade the rights in a way that they can get um, – from what I've been told, like there's a way of the uh, like a sign and trade situation with Columbus that could still occur, not yeah. not rights, but a sign and trade. Yeah, to give it to give this year, you know, to somebody. Washout wants the percentage <coughs> that I would give Bowen Byron to make the NHL this year. I actually think it's about 30 40 percent. I, I think Moritz Sider will make the NHL this year. I think he's the one defenseman that does. Huh, okay, interesting. Yeah, they, they, that, you were right on that. Like, the few people who got that. Everybody was shocked by that, and you rested. rested no, we weren't. Like, yeah. if people, we listen, yeah. I think you did, Eck, if they listened to the pregame show that we did on the draft floor on Sirius, yeah. we both said that Snyder was going to be in the top 10. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And Russ said, as far, Russ said as far back as the combine that Snyder was going to be in the NHL. Oh, you know, also, you know, and the thing is with Detroit's defense. As bad as it is, that just increases the possibility. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. And then uh, finally, some people asking us if we've seen the Jillian Fisher videos and stuff like that. Yeah, we're, we're really proud of Jillian Fisher here at Hockey Buzz. You know, like we are, and 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 in the Hockey Buzz cast particularly, because Jillian's got her start with us. This is the first thing she ever did hockey related was playing on was on our podcast and uh, doing videos like that. And I gave her some tips on how to do some on some YouTubers she needed to follow, and she like learned she learned very quickly. Jillian's a really quick learner and she's uh we're thrilled to see all the stuff that's come her way so I, I talked to her the other night after the after she was on the draft and everything like that and she was just blown away she's like i can't believe this is happening it's really cool and i'm like yeah, yeah i slid into her dms a few times told her i thought yeah, she's she, she, she learned it all so it's really cool she's a great yeah. she's a great great person and we've spent a lot of time with her and it just oh yeah worked incredibly hard so that's like the thing you have to remember it, it is but a she's lot spending, people don't realize she spends hours and hours and hours on these videos they don't just you can't make a video in 10 minutes and she spends thousands and thousands of dollars traveling around I mean, she's just yeah. connecting with the, you know going to going to all different kinds of initial events i mean i remember she was at the world cup of hockey with us walking around um in toronto mike came up one day remember we all like walked around with jillian at the oh world no cup. i i remember i remember the bubble hockey game yeah, where bubble hockey at the world cup that was i was the only person that ever played bubble hockey wearing dress pants right <laughs> human human giant bubble hockey thing yeah, so uh, Jillian's great. Jillian's great. We're really happy for her. We're gonna have her on. I told him. I told her we're gonna have her on eventually when everything like mellows out here after the yeah, after, after right. the and all that stuff. She's gonna come back. We're gonna talk to her about like everything that she's done and all that stuff. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. For awesome. sure, she'll be back. Um, all right, that's all the time we have for today, guys. Um, we could we'll be back again tomorrow. 
um, please remember you can support the support this show if you get anything out of it if it helps you through your day at all we we really appreciate we really appreciate going to patreon.com slash hockey and uh, putting in any little bits you can help donate to, to the cause here um, it all helps us in a ton helps us a ton thanks guys remember without the buzz it is just hockey we will talk to you tomorrow I have to stop the show I'm in charge talk to you tomorrow Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.